Hello, everybody. This is Working the Beat. It is Thursday, November 18th, 2021. I'm Kevin Cooney, along with Mike Curran. Thanks for joining us here. Uh, jam-packed show. Uh, obviously, we're back after a week off. Um, jam-packed show. We'll talk a little Bryce Harper being named National League MVP in a few minutes. Preview Eagles and Saints. Talk a little bit about the college football landscape uh, with the playoff uh, looming. But we don't often start with a Hall of Famer. And so uh, we're thrilled. Uh, next week, Andy Talley will join the College Football Hall of Fame, uh, the longtime Villanova coach who is not just a great football coach and obviously won a national championship on the main line, helped rebuild the program after the program was suspended um, you know, in the 80s. But he's also one of the great humanitarians. So, Andy Talley, welcome to Work of the Beat. How are you? Kevin, it's great to be here, especially with you and Mike Kern. Uh, always a pleasure uh, to do Philly stuff. And uh, I'm just so excited that, you know, I can start my career uh, at Villanova and stay there a long time and, you know, continue to be a part of it. So, I'm very pleased to be here tonight. Mr. Kern has covered you for a long time, so I'll give him the first question. No, it's. I was thinking about this when I saw you on Saturday, Andy. I was there when you got the job, and I was there where you, when you relinquished the job. Your your um, era just about spanned my career. So thank you. <laughs> it was it, it was it was a pleasure. <laughs> you know, Mike, it, it it was a pleasure uh, to be with you through that whole time, and we've had so many guys. Uh, that I started out with, uh, with the Inquirer and the Daily News and uh, all, all, all of the writers through the years. I mean, 32 years with a lot of terrific uh, writers. And everyone complains uh, about how tough the Philly writers can be. And I never found that. I found, first of all, the Philly writers to be fair, well, one guy uh, which, I, which I think is really important. And uh, one guy you did, but we won't mention that. Well, there, there was there was always one guy uh, <laughs> that that now and then could could go left or go right, and uh, th- that gentleman that you're talking about, I'm sure, has ended up on his feet. And you know, I'm in a good place, and hopefully, he's in a good place. Uh, but for some reason, uh, and I don't understand because he was Italian too, and, and, and I'm Italian, <laughs> so I don't get it. <laughs> Andy, I got to ask you something. You had like you said a 32 year career at Villanova you were real good friends at, you became good friends with Tubby Raymond who had his time at Delaware probably as long or lo- longer probably than you were even at Villanova do you think guys coming up now who are starting in their late 20s wh- whatever are going to do what you guys did whether it's at one school or even at two schools because I just see you guys as like the dinosaurs the last of um you, you know, even a Casey Keeler, who who obviously we know, but he's been at a few different schools, but he's going to be along. But it, it's hard, I think, for these guys starting out now to become you guys. Yeah, I think it's difficult uh, for coaches to stay at a place longer than five or six or seven years. Um, for me, I had done a lot of traveling around and um, knew that once I got the job that I wanted, in my hometown, um, I would do everything I could to stay there for a very, very long time. And I think Tubby, um, you, you know, sort of 
sort of was the same way. I mean, first of all, Tubby had everything he needed to be incredibly successful at Delaware. I mean, they were a tremendous football program with facilities and alumni and great history. Um, Villanova, you you know, kind of messed it up a little bit. You know, they tried to play big time football Um, every now and then they could step up, but really never put the kind of money and time or facilities to do it. And they set themselves up for failure. So um, when they did fail and dropped it um, with, with, with trying to figure out, okay, we're going to bring it back. How are we going to bring it back? One double a football had just developed and it really was a great niche for Villanova because that's probably where they should have been uh, back in the day. If they weren't committed to do a 60,000 seat stadium and, and really get after it, like, like what Temple's trying to do, which, you know, it's very difficult to do very hard. Um, so I was lucky. Well, and, 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 and Andy, I wanted to ask you about that. Obviously it's been rumored over the years that Villanova may, you know, Vince Castro had to deal with it for a little bit when the big East was breaking up and there was a consideration of maybe, you you know, going up a level, um, you know, and, and finding different things. Did you ever secretly aspire to get into that level of football with Villanova at that point? Kevin, before he answers that, just let's be clear. They were in the Big East. Yeah, but they, uh, when they the Big East they, split apart, when Temple came, uh, t- t- there was Temple there for a right. few minutes. And, well, yeah. What I'm saying is they had the press release was ready to go on whatever day that was, and then the West Virginia AD, the Pitt AD, and the Syracuse AD said, whoa, wait a minute, and that's when everything... But Villanova, you know, if those guys hadn't done that, they were going to move up. Now, whether that would have been a good move or not, who knows? Go ahead, Andy. Sorry Sorry. about that, Andy. (laughs) Well, I I think the uh, biggest concern that Villanova had, they didn't have a stadium to play in. And uh, without the stadium... You, you really struggle, and the town of Villanova would not allow Villanova to build the stadium there. Mm-hmm. So now you continue to look about where can you play. You can play at the link. Uh, maybe you can build a stadium, but you're going to build a stadium where? Okay, where are you going to put the stadium? 20 miles away, 15 miles away, uh, and what kind of money does that generate? The president at the time said to me, he said, I don't want to be the president that bankrupts this university. They were scared to death that if they uh, couldn't make it, it, you know, and make money in Division One football, that it would have collapsed the university. And that's a scary thought. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of schools that are taking that chance that, you know, you competed against. But I'm just wondering, Andy, is there, you, you know, now, you know, with the basketball program being what it is, obviously winning a couple of national titles, you won a national title in 2009. Do you ever see a day down the road, and I know it's hard for us to project this, where Villanova might re- – because Vince had him. I mean, he had convinced the president, you know, to do it. The president was reluctantly going to do it. Do you ever see them going back, or do you think it's just one double-A forever because there are people that worry about the future of one double-A? Well, I think that it's obviously always going to be a concern uh, for a place like Villanova. Uh, you know, JMU is making that decision now. And so they're leaving and going into a a little better conference. But really, are they going to make a lot of money in that conference? Uh, Is it going to give them the kind of exposure that they need uh, in a state where, you know, Virginia Tech 
and Virginia are really the elite schools. Um, so uh, for Villanova, uh, I, I think it, it's been a terrific opportunity to continue to give them a place in the fall. Uh, because really, without Villanova football, there, there's no space for Villanova in the fall, unless you want to start thinking about basketball in, in October. So, um, and, and it also has done a lot for their admissions. Right now, the, they can't, the acceptance rate at Villanova is, is quite amazing. It's a difficult school to get into mm-hmm. because they present a total picture to an incoming student. And high school students want to see a robust athletic program. And Villanova in the admissions side of it has truly recognized it. And by the way, their fundraising is out of sight, completely out of sight. Yeah. Andy, when you when you started and having to build a program from the ground up, in a market, let's be honest, the Philadelphia market is not known as a college football market. Okay. I mean it's it's got some good high school programs. There's the Penn State following. But it wasn't traditionally one that drew a lot for college football. What was the best thing you were able to tell recruits when you got in the door at Nova and allowed you to build the program up the way you did? Well, I had a plan uh, when I came in because having coached in the Ivy League, as you know, the Ivy schools recruit nationally. Right. And so for me, um, it was important to sell the Philadelphia market early on um, that we were going to attract really good football players in the area locally. Uh, but in the back of my mind, that was really only going to be partial uh, for maybe four or five years. And then I went to California uh, and everybody went crazy. Like, what are you doing? Why are you going there? Why are you recruiting the Midwest? Well, because I knew with the scope of the national basketball program that you could turn on TV and see Villanova play two or three nights a week in the Midwest or the far West Mm -hmm. uh, in big East basketball. So when I walked into a school in, in Southern California, they knew who Villanova was. And a lot of the kids in California were not enamored by schools in Florida, in California. If you weren't going to USC or uh, you know, one of the big schools in Cali, there, there weren't a lot of places to go. So Villanova was a great option to go east. And there's something about going east for a kid in California. They love that concept. And, of course, uh, with basketball being a national approach, uh, people in California knew Villanova. And academically, we recruited some of the really good schools out there and were able to attract some very, very good players. Yeah, a- Andy, it's been 12 years. We were all well. We were there. Do you, how often do you think about Chattanooga or that run or you know? Because every now and again, I'll you know I'll be sitting there and I'm like, wow, you know, the the William and Mary game, which I still think is one of the great games I ever covered at your level. But how often does the 2009 thing, or or do you move on? Do you say, hey, that was great and we did it. But, you know, it's been 12 years and, you know, I've had other great teams too and, and other players. Where does that fit in, in your life? Well, uh, for me, uh, that's the epitome uh, in college football, to be the best team in the country. Uh, and, and we were able to prove it on the field. And that's the great thing about 
that level of football. I mean, you got to work through four games uh, after you've played an 11 game schedule, stay healthy, and you're playing some of the very best teams in the country. Uh, and it depends uh, whether you have them away or whether you have them home. As you remember that year in 2009, we played three of those games at home, which was crazy good for us. Uh, had we had to play William and Mary away, uh, we probably would have lost that game, even though we beat them during the season at William and Mary. But to go down there and beat them again would have been difficult because they were much, much improved. So being at home three times and then, you know, the final game, uh, the other team is away as well. And, you know, just let it all hang out. You were there. It was a great night. Chattanooga. <laughs> Chattanooga. Chattanooga. Absolutely. (laughs) Andy Talley joins us. Andy, I mean, you know, obviously the guy everybody around here knows is Westbrook uh, from your time with Nova. What was the what was the thing that got him the Nova in your mind? Well, uh, for one thing, uh, he uh, went to uh, a Catholic school. The Matha Matha High School. So he was schooled in the family aspect uh, of a school like that. Mm -hmm. Um, He also uh, was injured uh, his senior year. And had he not been injured, he would have had a lot more people chasing him. So he was really under the radar as a football player. We probably never would have had a chance to get him uh, had he had a full season. So I think being a Catholic school, um, and ironically, uh, when I was coaching at Little Division Three Middlebury College in Vermont, uh, I used to go scout, you know, because I was a young coach. They would send me on the road in the old days when you would go scouting. And so I went down to watch Union College play uh, Hobart. And I'm looking at number 20, uh, this African-American tailback for, uh, for, for this great Little Division Three school, Union College. And he is running up and down the field, scoring touchdowns left and right. Well, lo and behold, it turned out to be Brian Westbrook's father. Um, <laughs> and, and so you never uh, told me that story when I was no, I know I, I was saving it for this show, Kevin show. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and so Ron Westbrook, Ron Westbrook was 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 the uh, was was the tailback for Union College. And so when we recruited uh, Brian, I'm in the home, and uh, I said, you, you were number 20 in college, weren't you? He goes, I was. I said, you went to Union College. He goes, yes, I did. I said, I saw you play when you were in college, and he was a great, great player great player did you so, get did you get the sidebar story uh, did you get the letter did you get the letter signed that evening when after you told dad hey i saw you well, back I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what in that decision making process uh-huh. uh, mrs mrs westbrook was was the boss lady uh she ran the show and i knew that you know i had ron uh but i needed to get mama and uh she was tough you know, she wanted her kid to be at a great place, great education, make sure he was taken care of, uh, and so on. And, and, you know, the deal with, with Brian Westbrook, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but after his sophomore year, um, he had a torn ACL. Um, mm-hmm. And he actually came in with a partially torn ACL. 
and it just got worse and worse. And then finally, at the end of his sophomore year, um, it was it was time to get it operated on. So Brian couldn't have been more of a pain in the butt uh, in that whole year where he redshirted after his sophomore year. You know, he moped around. You know, he worked like crazy to get better. But in those days, an ACL took a while, it took a full year to get right. And um, so now, you know, I just kept loving him up, taking him to games with us and trying to keep his spirits up. So the first game we play in, in, in his third year at Villanova is at Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So we're opening up University of Pittsburgh. Walt Harris is the coach. And uh, it, he he had – he scored four touchdowns. Uh, I don't know if you remember, Mike, but he he scored one from scrimmage, like 65-yard run. He ran a fake punt that we had put in for about 70 yards. Um, he caught a touchdown pass, um, and I and then I think he had a, a uh, I can't remember punt return, kick return. But anyway, after the game, we lost the game, uh, 38-36. We gave I mean we gave them a scare, and Walt Harris their coach came up to me at the end of the game and he said, who the hell is number 20? <laughs> I said, I know you didn't see him on film. You, you'd never seen him before. He's a very, very special player. And uh, the rest is history. He went on being all American that year and the year after. Okay, Mike. Andy, I told you this a long time ago, but, but it, it, it's come true. Your, your involvement for all you've done on the football field, your involvement with the bone marrow uh, transplant program is so far beyond that in the scheme of life. And I'm not sure how many people who are listening know exactly, but could you just explain how you get involved, how you got involved in that, what it's become, you know, what, what it means that you're, that you've saved. I'm going to guess now, I know it's like over 300 lives or something like that. And maybe it's more and I'm just messing up the numbers, but could you just kind of give the listeners an idea of what that program's all about? Sure. I'm like, I'd be happy to, uh, and it's dear, near and dear to my heart. Uh, I was driving to work uh, six o'clock in the morning uh, and I was on uh, a radio show and uh, y- you know, I, I was uh, talking about um, y- you know, how, how so many people were dying with, with uh, blood cancer diseases. And, and so at that time, there were only a million people on the bone marrow donor list. There are now 20 million people. So when I got back to the office, um, I had someone contact me uh, from the um, HLA registry in New Jersey. And they said, we heard your talk. Um, that you would love to get involved in something special uh, with your team. And um, would you be interested in doing um, marrow drives? And I said, well, tell me what it is. So they explained it to me and I said, sure, I'd be happy to do it. I can get some local college teams involved with me, Penn, Temple, uh, Widener, uh, Westchester, and so on. And and we'll, we'll do some drives. So we started out early, um, in 1992 with local drives. And the next thing you know, people started to find out that we were saving lives. And then we decided 
uh, one when uh, I had met Krista Ross, who you know, Krista yep. runs the foundation now. She said to me, well, you know, maybe you should start a foundation. And I said, you know, what you mean, like when you build a house, I don't know what, what's a foundation, like a 5013C. So I said, okay, let's do it. So we put together a foundation. I started contacting college coaches. And I can tell you, Kevin and, and Mike, I have never had a college coach when I have called him to say, would you do a marrow drive with me? I've never had one of them say no, never. Uh, and so we now have 150 college football teams that do marrow drives uh, every spring. We've put uh, over 120,000 people on the donor list. That means these people are prepared to donate and save a life. And we have over 800 transplants that we are responsible for. We have transplanted 800 people uh, that uh, have saved a life. And Villanova has over 40 uh, students, uh, about 30 of them are college football players that played for me that donated and saved the life. Of course, Matt Caesar was the biggest name yep. because he was a great player, South Jersey guy, and uh, he saved uh, a little girl in Russia. And uh, that, was, that was a great lead story that ESPN did and so on. So it's been a labor of love. Uh, I do it full time now. Uh, our goal uh, this spring is to have 200 college football teams work with me. Uh, I just actually spoke to the uh, assistant coach at Kansas State, um, and he heads up the uh, Black Coaches Association. So when we go to the convention, uh, he is going to make sure that that association will be working with me because there's only a 23% chance for an African-American to find a bone marrow uh, transplant because there's no donors. There's no black donors for the three of us, because we're white, mm -hmm. you can have a 70% chance of finding a donor African-American. No, 23%. There's no donors. We need to do better. So it just grabs you, you know, it grabs me. And, and that's what I do. Uh, we, we are so, and we do it around the great sport of football. It's football coaches that provide their student body and also their, their players to be a part of uh, our drives. And we should point out the, the get in the game program, which is what uh, Andy started one out of a hundred, one out of every one fifty get in the game registrants. This is according to uh, Jesse Anoquito's article uh, on Philly voice today goes on the transplant. The national average is one in four thirty. Is that correct, Andy? Correct. Yes. So we, we have improved the chances of people um, getting on the donor list because the donors, the absolute perfect donor is an 18 to 24 year old male. Hey, that's right in our belly wax. That's who we recruit. That's what we do. So, 40 is the last date that you really can be on the donor list because your marrow isn't as um, vigorous as it should be when, when you get older. So that young uh, person that we deal with on college campuses is the ideal person to save a life. And that's where we work. And let me, let me ask Andy, obviously with the pandemic, everything has been strange, you know, for everybody on a lot of different levels. 
How has the pandemic affected the organization with what's been going on? Yes, the, the pandemic uh, has really hurt us because uh, a lot of schools have been closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of schools um, don't don't want to have a drive during uh, COVID times, uh, and and it's been difficult. Um, it is just starting to open up now, um, and I'm in touch with a lot of colleges and universities now that are starting to come back, and uh, I, I'm hoping that we can we can make it up. But it's really hurt a bone marrow donation for sure. Go ahead, Mike. Did, did you ever think, Andy, in 1992, that it would become what it's become? Not in a million years, Mike. I was just looking for um, something that we could do as a team that would give the players more of a thought process about they are so gifted and so lucky to be a, a football player, and they need to give back in some way, some way, shape, or form. And what a great way this is. And so many of our players, um, you know, will leave, and, and they talk about what they did, even though they were never called. They, they talk about being involved in that and, and hope someday that they would be called or they have found another way to uh, help help people in the real world today. Good stuff. Andy Talley, stuff. Andy Talley is joining us. Andy, final question. You've had a year to get ready for this speech you're going to have to give next week. And by the way, it's a nice location to get inducted into a Hall of Fame in Las Vegas, we should point out. Um, what, what is it going to be like for you? What will you, what is the first thing you're going to think of when you stand up to talk? Well, you know, Kevin, actually, um, I, I have to tell you that we jumped the gun because what they do now, when you are inducted into the college football hall of fame, they insist that you have a function on your campus right before you go to Vegas. Okay. So, I actually had this opportunity to speak to 180 people um, last uh, last last uh, Friday night, right, uh, at, at Villanova. So when you go to the big one in Vegas, we're going to have the class of 2020, which I'm in, and the class of 2021. So you've got um, 30 uh, college football players and four college football coaches, two from each class. And there are no speeches. Wow. Um, none of them are going to speak. My apologies uh, then. I apologize. Yeah, no, no, no problem. That's okay. People would think that you would speak, but there's no way with a forum like that could they have every player get up and talk because you'd be there till four in the morning. So um, I had the good fortune to speak uh, last week at Villanova. And I was preceded by Mark Ferrani, the head coach at Villanova. Right. And he did a great job. And then I was allowed to pick two players to speak for me. Uh, and so Sean Lyons, who was a linebacker for me, um, and and uh, um, I'm trying to think who, who my other speaker was. Oren Solomon was a defensive back for me. Okay. And they, they did a phenomenal job. In fact, Oren had people crying. I mean, he, he did such a great job. And then I'm like, geez, why did I have to be the last speaker? And those guys <laughs> killed it. And I got up there and I'm like, man, oh, man, oh, man. I threw all my notes away because there was no way. Uh, and and I was able to somehow pull off something that was a semblance of a, 
a thank you and appreciation, uh, et cetera. But it was a great, great night, and Villanova did a great job. They really I got to tell you, Kevin, a few years ago, I was fortunate to be in the audience when Andy was inducted, I believe, into the Pennsylvania Sports Hall of Fame, Andy. Was that? Yes. yes. Okay. And there was about 12, 13 guys that got in. Fran Dumphy, I believe, was, was there at night. And Andy's speech that night was great. And, and it wasn't real long, and he was near the end of the program, so people were kind of losing interest. But Andy, if Andy could have said that speech again in Las Vegas, they, they would have loved it, and I understand why they can't. But it was it, – because it wasn't – as Andy said, you check your ego at the door sometimes, you know, and you just kind of be humble and you, and you just speak the truth. And, and But you were great that night. So if, if you didn't get to speak in Vegas, you got to speak up in Northeast Philly, and that was great. Oh, that's exactly well, the same as Northeast Philly and Vegas, though, Mike. You know, <laughs> it was it was close. It wasn't. It? <laughs> There's a casino here now. Yes, so there is. Yeah, we, well, we weren't in the casino, but um, you know. uh, Andy, it's a hell of a class you're in with Eric uh, Eric Dickerson, Keith Byers, Steve McNair, Lomas Brown, Eric Crouch, and Jumbo Elliott. I mean, that's a pretty good group you went into with, and the 21 class had Darren Sproles and, and Tony Romo. So that's. Uh, that's a lot of talent. You would love to have some of those guys, huh? Yeah, for sure. And, uh, of course, um, being with all of those guys will be kind of interesting because I'm pretty low-key. Uh, I doubt most of those guys never would have heard of me or haven't heard of me, um, which which is fine. And uh, I'm, I'm not really enamored by pro names and college names. Uh, I mean, everybody had their niche, and they did it. And uh, – as long as they were good guys and they give back um, to me, that's the most important thing because everybody watched those guys play and thought they were great players, but what are they doing now? You know, what, what are you doing now? Yeah. What are wow. you doing? What are you doing for all the people that backed you? Who are you helping? Um, you know, and a lot of those guys made a lot of money and, and, and I hope that they're, they're they're helping and giving back and working if it's with their school or their town or whatever and i'm sure they are i'm sure they are when you see tony romo ask him how how he beat brett by nine votes to win the uh walter payton that year yeah tony tony uh think he, about he, that he won, nine he votes won the award and he beat out brett gordon uh our little five five eight yeah. quarterback South <laughs> high school uh you, you know and and truth truth be known Brett, Brett was as good as him uh, yes. in, in, in 1AA football uh, as Tony Romo, uh, but um, that would have been our fourth Walter Payton Award winner because we had three right. of them. Right. Uh, and, and now I think there is one other school that has three, but Villanova at one point was the only school in the country that had three Walter Payton Award winners, Brian uh, Fitterin, uh, Brian Westbrook, and John Robertson. Yeah, and if the refs didn't screw you down there, Brett would have been in the title game with the cast on his on his hand. Absolutely, yeah, no question. Yeah, I hate to say that, but we did get screwed. I but. said it. I said it. You didn't. I'm, I'm allowed to say it. it was, well, I can. I can say it now. Yeah, Andy, you're not. You've, gonna- you've had some some road stories that you could tell us, and I know you can't say it on this podcast. But if we were just sitting somewhere, you have some Youngstown State places and. Naja Delis, or where, where the hell were you in Louisiana? I don't know. It, Nacogdoches, to, Texas. You've been to some places, man. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, 
You, you know, it's it's amazing. People go, where have you been overseas? I said, nah, I've done a lot of stuff in the United States. You wouldn't believe where I've been. <laughs> I got to say, Andy, the favorite high school player I ever covered, because I was covering him, was Brett Gordon. He was unreal, and I was so happy. And he's one of the nicest guys ever. He is. Yeah. Uh, that has, and hell of a coach too. His, his father was a hell of a coach. Uh, oh yeah. Oh, they're quite a, quite a twosome. Those two. Oh and yeah. He Brett can, was, and he can hit a golf ball, Kevin. Trust yes, me. he can. Who, he Brett? hit it a long way. Brett? Yes. Yes. I'll tell you what. He also had a nice little jumper. He played for LaSalle's basketball team under, I think it was Marty Jackson was the head coach. He had a real nice jumper too. Like he was, there you that, go. He, he was a heck of an athlete. Uh, Andy, I appreciate you joining us. Congratulations on the honor. And more importantly, congratulations on everything you've done uh, with the bone marrow uh, transplant list and getting schools active. And as you said, you know, that's the prime area to get those marrow donors. And uh, what you've done has gone well beyond anything you could have done on the field. And I appreciate you joining us here tonight. And when you get back from Vegas, Dover to Holidays, we're going out. You think you may make it out? I can do whatever you want me to do. Are you triple vaccinated now, Kern? No, I can't. No, I can't get the. I said when you get back from Vegas, oh, we're going out. We're going to eat. We're going to manja. We're going okay. to. We're going to oh. do the uh, do the gravy. I got I'll look forward to it. That'll be Long great. Hot. Thank you, <laughs> Kevin. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Andy. No, thank you for joining us. Former Villanova coach and college football hall of famer Al- Andy Talley joins us, and we'll be back on work of the beat right after this. for joining us you know we have a lot of great coaches and mike you've covered a ton of them and a lot of yeah, hall I've, been of lucky. I've been lucky yeah i mean we've covered some hall you've covered some hall of fame coaches but that's as good a man as there has been in this in this area for sure yeah you know it's funny later in his career andy sort of became a ceo i don't think he was like you know I mean, he had Mark Frante running, the, mm-hmm. the, you know, one side of the ball, the other guy running the other side. And, and that, that's what Andy did really, really, really well. But I said to him one time, and I said, you know, you're going to accomplish – they're going to put your name, and they have his name on a building now. Yep, you know, the Tally Center, that, which is their yeah. – Yeah, and and Howie Long, the Howie Long lifting thing where Howie donated a couple million dollars or whatever Howie donated. But I told him that. I said, they're going to have a statue of you, and they do have a statue – but I said, the, the biggest thing you're going to do is with the bone marrow stuff. And um, because you can't put a price on that. I mean, you, 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 and I've done, oh God, over the years, about 10 of those stories, maybe, maybe more, where the people met each other, like, after, you know, after somebody, and some of them didn't have happy endings, Kevin. You know, I did a story one time on a guy, he was so great from Chicago. He was from Eastern Europe. So, he talked to me. He was funny. He had these stories. He just wanted to see his daughter grow up. And a couple of years later, I said, Andy, hey, and he had passed. You, right. you know, he had, and, and so not all of them have happy endings. But the uh, Matt Caesar one, because you know, there was a chance Matt Caesar wasn't going to be able to play in a title game. Yeah. If they had said, you know, this is when we need to do this transplant. And they had a decision to make. And the decision I'm, I'm almost 100% certain was that Matt was not going to play in a championship game if he had to give the bone marrow. Because when you give it, you can't play for like a week or 10 days after that because of your spleen. Something to do with, the, you know, you can't get hit in the spleen. And, you know, it turned, turned out and he did. He saved a, a, a young Russian girl, um, 
You know, it, it's it's just amazing. It, you, you know, you save someone's life. And I remember one time way back when I got called to the second stage. Um, so I was a match to the second stage, but then I must not. So I was one stage away from being a donor. You know, and I said to my wife, because back then there was still a little bit of pain associated with it. Yeah. Now it's a little different. And she's like, oh, what are you going to do? And I said, well, if I get called, I, I, how can you tell somebody you're not going to save their life? You can't, you know, you just can't. I, I was almost kind of hoping for it. I, I really was, but then it turned out I didn't get called back. So, you know, we'll never know. I hope whoever it was, they, they did find a person for him. Yeah. And, and obviously look, it, it's, it goes well beyond, uh, it goes well beyond just, you know, football. And I think that's one thing that we sometimes have to make sure we keep in mind that uh, his value as a man, in a sense of being able to help people, should not take away, but only adds to what he did as a head coach. And what he did as a head coach, rebuilding the Villanova program from scratch, what was pretty remarkable. So, right. What me and you did, for, and you still do, I did. Winning games is important. It's why coaches make a lot of money. It's why fans show up. It's why we celebrate championships, and, we, and that, yeah. that's what it, it. That's what it's about. Let's face it. Mm-hmm. But that's still not all of it. It can't no. be all of it because only so many teams win. Only so many teams win. You know, Andy had a lot of good teams. Uh, maybe teams that were better than the 2019. I, you know, 97 team was pretty damn good. Brett Gordon's team was pretty damn good. Uh, the 2010 team the next year was really good, and they got all banged up. But, um, you know, they're, they're, it, you know, and like he said, you know, a lot of these kids, they're not going to play football not or after not. going over, or, you know, or, or briefly. They're going to go on with their lives, you know, and, and, you know, what do you do with your lives, yeah. with your life? So, you know, it's um, – and I hope it keeps going on. I hope, it, you know, I hope it only keeps getting bigger – better my, my cousin 10 years ago now she needed a, a bone marrow and then they didn't get it in time mm-hmm. and, and you know she passed and um just think boy if they had only been able to find somebody you know um let's move on to um the other news going on here uh as my dogs are going crazy uh hold on for a second here there you go that worked wonders. Um, <laughs> Bryce Harper has won his second most valuable player. It was announced on Thursday night. He has won. Uh, he won the award basically overwhelmingly uh, over uh, Juan Soto of the Nationals, who finished second. Fernando Tatis Jr. finished third. Uh, Mike, I don't think it's a super surprise. But uh, but I oh, think he was the fa- he was the favorite. He was the favorite. Seventeen out of thirty first place votes went to Harper. Um, I mean, he, you know, I, it's just to me it was it was a sign of how dominant he was, especially in the second half of the season, even for a team that did not make the playoffs. See, and, and look, I have no problem, and because we're in Philadelphia, if you say, "Well, I don't think Bryce should have won it," then you're like, "Well, how can you say that?" I think Bryce should have won. I mean, Acuna might have won it, I guess, if if the Padres hadn't faltered 
you know, may, and Tatis hadn't missed some of that time, maybe he would have won it because his numbers were pretty good too. It, it's amazing to me when I look at it because is it a most valuable player or is it the best player? That's always the, the debate that we've kind of had. I mean, the shortstop for the Giants had a pretty good year. I don't know if he had as good a year as Harper did, but his team won 107 games. And he might, and by but, all but Brandon, he Craw- Brandon Crawford finished fourth in the MVP voting, got the right. third most first place yeah. votes. And the guy on Atlanta, uh, Riley, well, pretty Austin, good year. Austin Riley did not get a vote above fourth place. Yeah, and, and that's okay. I mean, that, that's okay because. Yeah. Like and, and again, people look at numbers. I, you know, I heard even the same thing with the Cy Young. Well, he had twelve more strikeouts. And he had, really, over the course of a season, I'm going to worry about. Like, so if Harper had three more home runs than somebody, it, to me, that's a that's a push. If you had ten more home runs than somebody, okay, and he only had 86 RBIs, which isn't necessarily a knock on him. Um, but it seemed like in the past, Kevin. Like if you go back, you know, years way back. You know, Phil Rizzuto won, like, MVP, right? Right. I don't know if he won more than one. Was Phil Rizzuto, If I looked at Phil Rizzuto's numbers that year, would I sit there and go, oh, my God? Yeah, probably 19, not. 1950, yeah. But he played for the Yankees, and he probably was the, you know, the the, um, the, 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 the leader in the clubhouse or whatever words you want to put on. I don't know. I mean, DiMaggio was on that team. But I'm just saying, I don't know what the award should be. But I have no problem with Bryce Harper getting it. But now, if you're the Phillies, and you look at yourselves and say, well, okay, we had the guy who almost won the Cy Young and the guy who, and what did it get us? 82, 82 wins. wins. Yeah. Which, and now they're going to go out and sign more um, guys. And look, these are two of the best signings the Phillies have had in a while, right? I mean, these are really, I mean, you might not think five years from now, Bryce's signings, but that's how signings are. These are two guys that earn their money. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, you couldn't ask for more if you're the Phillies. Right. Really? So this is the eighth oh, t- Before you say this, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Does two MVPs get you, like, almost automatic into the Hall of Fame? Well, or what? and I want to go down this list. All right, but there's a couple trivia questions here that I want to play with you. Eight- Dale Murphy? Is Dale Murphy in? Dale, Mur- Dale Murphy is not in. And he's got two. He's got two. Right. Eighth Phillies to- eighth time a Phillies player has won the MVP. Harper joins... Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, three-time winner Mike Schmidt, Jim Constani, and Chuck Klein. He is the 12th multiple winner of the National League Award. Barry Bonds obviously won it seven times. He's not in the Hall of Fame, but we know yeah, why. Yeah, well, yeah, we, right. Schmidt, Stan Musial, Roy Campanella, and Albert Pujols each won three of them. Obviously, Musial and Campy are in, Pulos will be, and Schmidt is in. Harper joins Carl Hubble. Willie Mays, Ernie Banks, Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, and Dale Murphy. Of that list, only Murphy is not in. Right. And Harper joins Frank Robinson as the only one winning the award, the National League Award, for two different clubs. Who did Uh, Frank? Frank Frank won it for Cincinnati and... And with Baltimore. So, having won the award for two different clubs. Oh, oh, oh. He was the only one that had done that. Yes. Okay, well, no, Barry Bonds won it with Pittsburgh and the Giants. Harper also joins Robinson as having the award for two different clubs. Two AL winners have won it for two clubs. Jimmy Fox and uh, won it with the Red Barry Sox. Barry Bonds won it for I know. two different clubs. I, I'm, I'm just reading you the... Oh, no, no, I'm just saying to you that Barry Bonds won it for two different clubs. Frank Robinson was the first one to do it because mm-hmm. he did it the year that they traded him. They traded him to the Orioles in 66, and he won. 
Um, so, but that was in two different leagues. So I don't, I don't know if there's a, but Barry Bonds. So you join, if you join Barry Bonds, that's, it's pretty good company. Yeah. If you're um, joining Barry Bonds and Frank Robinson, you're in pretty good shape. And he's only 28 years old, yeah. which, you know, but the problem is again, Kevin, and I'm not saying, what does he want? And there's a lot of great players. Ernie Banks didn't win crap. Dale okay? Murphy didn't win, win crap. Great player. Sure. But you're Bryce Harper. You play, you, you, you played in one play or you played in playoffs. You didn't win any, right? I don't think if the, the Nats didn't win. And then he leaves the Nats and the Nats win. And it was kind of like, you know, the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, but still they won. I don't know. Like if you're Bryce Harper at some point, you sitting there going, okay, what's my legacy? My legacy, two MVPs. Like what if the Phillies don't make the playoffs this year? What you know, what if the, what if he never tastes any kind of success team-wise in Philadelphia? And I'm not saying he won't. I'm just saying, you know, at some point you, you kind of look at it and say, Oh, okay, you're a great, you're a great player. The one thing I'll say about Bryce Harper this year, just this year, he gave the Phillies everything he had. Oh, absolutely. Like, he didn't miss games. He, you know, and he's had some injury problems the year before, you know, he had the back and the nagging back or whatever, but he was tough as crap and he played and I, and I know he didn't hit in the brave series at the end. And so who cares? Okay, fine. He didn't hit in the brave series. Okay. Wonderful. After he, they won the, yeah. The brave series doesn't matter if he doesn't hit. They won exactly. And, and he had a, about two months of just, you know, his first half wasn't great, but they like said he had two or two and a half months or whatever. After the All-Star break, he was as good as anybody. And um, yeah, I'll give him that. I mean, he, you know, he 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 just he he was he was the rock. And I know you and I have talked about this, about is he the guy in the clubhouse? And you've I think said a couple times you're not sure who the guy in the clubhouse well, is. Well, yeah, like, because because it's so now we're not really not sure because we're not allowed in the clubhouse. I mean, you right, can, right. I mean, but I mean look, he he obviously has sway with the owner. I mean, yeah. that's pretty. That's pretty clear. Almost maybe to a detriment, um, yeah. if you believe that the the real Mudo contract is going to bite this team in the rear end. Well, that I don't that, think the that contract's going to. But we all wanted it, Kevin. Oh, I, mean, I even back to last year. You and I would sit here and talk, and we would say, "Okay, what are Philly's going to do? They got to try to sign Riomoto, and they got to try to sign Didi." I mean, we were both on board with that. Yeah, now, I don't know if we're going to give him Didi as much of a contract as I gave him, but. You know, in Rio Muto, we both sat here and said, you know, when, when you get to the third and fourth year of that contract, and then we talked, well, there might be a DH. And then somebody had a column this week. I don't know if it was Mike Sielski or Dave Murphy that, that Rio Muto doesn't really – he wants to play catcher. You know, he doesn't want to play left fielder. He doesn't want – and that's where the Phillies have some interesting issues, you know, because they have a third baseman maybe who can't play th- third base, a first baseman who's not real good at first base, a catcher who's really good at catching, but it might kill him. <laughs> right. I don't know how you work that all out, but I, I think if the Phillies' last winner had not signed Riomoto and had not signed Didi, we probably would have criticized them. I'm just saying. Oh, I, that, I, I don't. I don't disagree with you yeah, on that at all. So, you know, and like you said a few times, you know, it probably was done somewhat to appease Harper also because they're friends, and that's the way things work sometimes. It, um. You know, but I, I give Harper all the credit in the world um, because he left he left it out on the field. I don't care with the three games in Atlanta, right? Whatever. Maybe the Phillies won the won those anyway. Who the heck knows? But he he put that team up on his back. The first baseman got injured, right? 
Yeah. So he wasn't there the last six weeks, and he was on pace for 40 home runs. The third baseman got sent down to the minors. You know, they were the two hitters around him projected into the lineup. What did he have around him? I mean, really? Uh, can, can I rant about one thing? You can rant about anything. Okay, I, I'm looking over, and I, I hate doing this because it's some of my old brethren. But I, I, I really have to question some of the people who are voting for these awards. Um, Bryce Harper got a fifth-place vote tonight. Mm-hmm. One person, and I'm not going to name her na- uh, the name. Oh, the names are actually attached? The names are, are attached. There's a separate database. She, can, you tell me, can you tell me who that person voted one through four? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Hold on here. I'm loading up the database right now. Hold on. And you know there's always one or two people in any vote, Kevin, that you know, you're not going to understand, right? Oh, I, I understand, but it also makes me question now if if there's maybe other agendas at play. Well, there's always agendas at play, Kevin. This is why the Hall of Fame vote All comes right. into question. It, it is Brandon Crawford was okay. was, her, was their first. Trey Turner, okay. Trey Turner was second. Tyler, yeah. o- go ahead. Tyler O'Neill was third. Who is Tyler O'Neill from the Cardinals? Okay, no, I'm serious, I, uh, and I apologize. I just don't. Um, what were his numbers? I I can't load That's that fine. up. I can't load that up. Tatis was fourth, and Harper was fifth, and Soto was six. Yeah. So, West Coast. Well, again, Soto's problem was he played for a horrible team. So it does it become? Look, I don't know the guy from the card. West Coast, I, I West think. Coast, West Coast, or West Coast, West Coast, Midwest, West Coast. Yeah, but not. Look, I love Trey Turner. I don't. Don't get me wrong, because I would have had no problem if Scherzer would have won the Cy Young. To be honest with you, I thought he was great until his final two starts. But I, I like I said, I think Brandon Crawford deserved more consideration. I'm not saying I would have voted for him ahead of Harper, and, and that's fine, and I agree with you on that. Because 107 wins is 107 wins, mm-hmm. you know. However, you, but yeah, but Kevin, there, that's always going to happen, Kevin. That's why sometimes when you go through the Hall of Fame votes and you'll say you'll see some ballot where they left this guy off or something, you'll be like, huh? You know, and then the guy misses by four well, votes. And, and I'll mention this other thing, which is from last night. Okay, look, you can make the argument on uh, on Corbin Burns or Zach Wheeler right. or Max Scherzer. Okay. Right. You can make that argument, or actually, or actually, the fourth guy uh, from the Dodgers, right? Uh, Walker Bueller. He was pretty good too. He was pretty good. Yeah, but I'm going to mention this guy's name because he he made made it public and he decided to make a spectacle of himself with this, and that's that Charlie Goldsmith from the Cincinnati Inquirer. Who I don't know Charlie? Yeah, Charlie graduated from Northwestern last year, and is now voting for the Scion Award. And I'm not saying that it's too young if you literally are a college grad just coming out. Oh, yeah. Don't you have to have like five years in the business or something? Don't they? No, have no, like cha- no, like no, 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 no. That's for the Hall of Fame. Oh, OK. 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 I, I can tell you when I did the divvying up of the two major awards, which were Cy Young and MVP as the chapter chair of Philadelphia. I used to give it to the same four guys because I was certain that I would get a strong a strong representation on you know each chapter gets two per award. Okay? Well was this guy like the beat writer for the Cubs or the White Sox? 
No, this is Cincinnati. This is the Cincinnati oh, Inquirer. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So he's the beat writer for the Reds? He is, I believe, the second beat writer. Yes. He's the backup Trust beat you, writer. Okay, fine. Okay. 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 Yeah. He voted Zach Wheeler fifth. Yeah. Okay. Behind uh, Burns, fine. Scherzer, okay. Bueller, eh. And, and Woodruff from the, uh, from the Brewers. Right. And decided... When asked about it last night, to use Statcast data. Yeah, well, that's the world we live in, Kevin. And that just shows me you're not watching the sport that you're covering. But that's the world that we I, live in. I understand. In, it doesn't mean this I. This is where this is where it's going. They they they'll, they'll give you stats upon stats upon stats. I don't even know what some of the stats mean. He to be said honest. that the reason he voted for Woodruff over Wheeler was that Woodruff's breaking ball had more of a bite. Good. That's wonderful. It, it, you know, Never mind. Zach Wheeler pitched about 55 more innings, but okay. It doesn't because the, I mean, and these geniuses and look, and look, I'm not here to knock every 22 year old kid just walking the face of the earth. This is how they were bought up. Uh-huh. They weren't bought up there. But to me, it's like they have these stats now that, you know, what was his earn run average? You know, the wins now don't even matter. People don't care if you win games or not, which to me, that kind of counts too, you know. And um, hey, there's other, some other, but look, it, it, now let me ask you a question. Yeah. So if Charlie had voted Wheeler third, I would have been okay made, with it. No, no. Would it have made a difference in Wheeler? And winning? look, and I got to say, there's a couple veteran guys and a couple who I actually have known for years and who I like. Who I disagree with, who voted him fourth, but I could right. justify fourth. Well, I can make yeah, an well. argument on fourth. I can't make an argument that he was the fifth best pitcher in the National uh, League. Yeah, but you're, just you're can't. splitting hairs. But you're splitting hairs four and well, five. If you, you know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying from my take on it. There was five guys that everybody said there was two guys from Milwaukee: Scherzer, him, and um, the guy I'm leaving out, uh, uh, Bueller. I guess would be the other guy. So you know. If, if, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that he was the best pitcher or the second best pitcher. Third, you know, I think he was he was deserving of it if he had gotten it. If he doesn't get it, okay, you, you know, finishing second or third is not a horrible thing. And this is why I hate. Oh, and and you know what? I've like totally that. come around to your your guys, you and Silski, and all those who have mentioned this in private and conversations. I did, like when people would ask me every year because I had to vote for like all big five, right? Right. All big five we vote for. Sometimes I got roped into voting for some other things. I, I'm trying to remember now, but and I always kind of uh, I voted for the Heisman Trophy. Right. right. I voted. For that. In fact, I still. I think last year was the first year I didn't because they figured out that I wasn't writing for anybody anymore, um, which shouldn't to me shouldn't mean a damn thing. But that's okay. I only they got can, four more years of Hall of Fame voting, but go ahead. It's it's yeah and. Um, but I, I've always felt weird sometimes because, you know, like the one year when Michael Vick was a freshman and he finished third, I think. I'm trying to remember. I didn't vote for him in my top three, and I think it was because he was a freshman. And then when the vote came in, I'm sitting there going, well, wait a minute. Was I watching the right thing? Like, you know, the guy was fantastic. He was, he was all that. But I just hate voting for stuff because, you know, even when we were at, like, regionals and they'd ask you to vote for the all-20 team or something, I'm like, you know, God, I'm going to leave somebody off here who probably should be on or whatever. But this is going to happen. I mean, because there is no foolproof formula for voting for this stuff. You know, it's your opinion. It's your, and you hope it's an educated opinion. 
But that's all you can ask. So it's really, it's really time to start considering whether this is, whether this is with whether this is the 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 method we should be choosing. I really, I, I don't know yeah, why, but, is, but, but watching Tyler O'Neill get a third place vote over Bryce yeah, Harper for. But that, MVP yeah, is, that probably happens every year, and you just haven't noticed it before. I guarantee you, it's happened every year. And I, I really respect. I, I I I should say this. I I'm not going to name who it is. I really respect this person. She was the former national chairman of the Baseball Writers Association. She knows the sport left and right. I just wonder how you come to that decision. But I we really go to do. The, so let's say the writers don't vote. Who votes? You know what? It works in other sports somehow, and the writers don't always vote there. Well, who votes? That's what I'm asking. Right. Do the players vote? <sighs> don't know. I'm, I'm just asking the question. Most of these things, writers vote in them. I know Wilbon talks about it all the time on PTI, how sometimes he's torn between, you know, voting for this guy or voting for that guy. You know, who deemed that writers should be the people voting when you're covering these guys? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, if a Philly writer, let's say for the sake of argument, had Wheeler fifth, and he's got to walk into the clubhouse next year and face Wheeler, I you know, I don't know. I, You know, maybe you do it a third, a third, a third, like they do um, with the All-Star or whatever. You know, the, mat, the, the coaches have a vote, the players have a vote, and the writers have a vote. And you give a third, a third, a third. So that way, at least, you know, if you're going to screw it up three times, you screw it up three times. I think that way is better than than most ways, but that's just me. And see, I think what happened, Kevin, 30, 40 years ago, I think the writers did get it right most of the time. But, yeah, I hear stories sometimes from back in the 70s or the 60s. Or, you know, they didn't like Ted Williams, so Ted Williams got screwed. I mean, we, we've all heard those stories. So, you know, this is not something that's just happening now because you have new stats. There was writers who didn't vote for Ted Williams because they didn't like Ted Williams. There was people who didn't vote for Eddie Murray for the Hall of Fame because they didn't like Eddie Murray. Murray. Yeah, then you should turn your vote in. If you don't vote for a guy because you didn't like him, and, and he's got six hundred home runs, five hundred and fifty home runs, or whatever the hell Eddie Murray had, you, your your vote should be taken away. It just should be taken away. There was a clear winner. There was a clear front runner for National League MVP this year. Sure, and and that guy won it, and yeah. that should be commended. But the process that went through it. And especially last night with Cy Young, because I'm not look if you if you gave me a vote for Cy Young, I'm not guaranteeing I would have picked Wheeler, but I sure as hell would not have picked uh, Corbin Burns. Let me ask you two questions: Does Otani win the? Uh, he AL? did. He did. He did. Unanimously. Who was second? Who was second? Vlad. Uh yeah, but it was unanimous. Uh, okay. Okay. And again, uh, Vlad, Vlad got Vlad got twenty nine of the thirty second place votes. Yeah, and I'm not saying that Otani because he was doing Babe Ruth kind of stuff, uh, but again, he plays for a team that stinks. Which is so if he's the most valuable player, so the, the Angels finished last or next to last or whatever the hell they finished. So without Otani, they would have finished what? See, this is my whole point. Like you can make the argument that the Phillies would have won sixty five games this year, you know, if they didn't have Harper. But again, they didn't make the playoffs. They won 82 games. And I'm not saying that should be the determining factor. I'm just saying. Let me ask you a question. Hold on. By the way, by the way, can I say one more? Kudos to the guy who voted Jacob DeGrom, who missed half a season as the fifth place, uh, giving him a fifth place value. Again, but you're going to happen. Are you kidding me? 
I, I'm with you. But, you know, what, what can you, do you think if Bauer had not gotten in the trouble he got into, would he have had a chance to win that award? No. I, I thought he was having a good season. He was but having a good season, but he wasn't close to that. He was a number five okay. starter. I mean, my for my mind. Urias deserved more of a look. Right. If you want to look with Scherzer wins, yeah. and Bueller and Urias. Yeah. But 30 years ago, Urias would have won. Oh, because yeah. Because they would have looked at his record and they would have said, well, he's 21 and three or 23. He wins. That all changed. That changed in the last decade or so. But if yeah, we, I, we bitch and moan about starting pitchers getting pulled after five innings and then we reward them with the Cy Young. I'm sorry. That, that, there's something wrong there. I really I do. was voting. I and again, I wouldn't I haven't studied all the numbers on to me, Max Scherzer was the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah. The second half of the year. I'm not gonna it, it's just for the first half. But I know in the first half he's because he pitched against the Phillies a couple of times, he's pretty damn good. I know his last two starts were not that good after the – well, I guess the Dodgers were trying to beat the Giants at that point, so the yeah. games did mean something. But if somebody – if Max Scherzer had won this thing, I wouldn't have had any problem. No. I had but a problem again, with finished, Burns. But he finished third. But he finished third. I had a problem with Burns. Just because the, the amount of innings you throw should matter if you're a starting pitcher. Not in today's game, man, Kevin. Right. If, you, if you throw five innings – Five or get maybe get to the sixth, and you don't give up more than three runs. You have you've made a, a quality start. That's that's what's wrong with baseball. That that's that that's what's wrong with baseball. Bob Gibson didn't consider it a quality start unless he went eight or nine innings and gave up one run or two runs. You know, or, but again, I'm talking like a like a you know, you would have never taken the ball out of Steve Carlton's hands. Bob Gibson, Don Drysdale, Sandy Koufax. Um, Juan Marichal. Are you kidding me? That's why there weren't relief pitchers back then. Yeah. Relief pitchers up until like the sixties were just the guys who couldn't start. Yeah. They, they you know, they were like and then the guy Page became a relief pitcher for the Yankees and he kind Jim Constanti had the one year with the Phillies, obviously. But he won eighteen games that year. He wasn't coming in to save games. No. He was coming in, to, you know, somewhere he won eighteen games. Elroy Face won eighteen games. With the Pirates in 1960, but then in the 70s, you you started having relief pitchers, Goose Gossage, um, the other guy, the left hand Lyle, Sparky Lyle, and then Eckersley came along after that. Uh, the guy on the Cardinals and the Pursuiters, and then it became. But those guys came in; they pitched more than one inning. But it wasn't like managers were going to relief pitchers in the seventh inning, right? Yeah, you know, but the game is totally, totally the the way that the Rays play it now. Um, the, the way a lot of teams play it, that's the future of baseball. That's that's why you have to have a bullpen now. Yep. You have to have a bullpen. There's just no way around it. You can't win in baseball, or it's very hard to win. Look at the Braves' bullpen. Their starting pitching wasn't great. Right. It was good. Um, Their bullpen was nuts. The Dodgers' bullpen was pretty nuts. Um, All the teams that seemed like they go far – they got like four or five arms in the bullpen. Yeah, they do. All right, let me let me move on a couple different topics here. One, I want to do one baseball topic. Uh, Rob Manfred was quoted on Thursday as saying that a lockout beginning on December first uh, would not be so bad because it would uh, move the process forward differently than a labor dispute that costs games. Quote: I don't think ninety four worked out too great for anyone. I think we need to look at the other sports. The pattern has been to control the timing of the labor dispute 
minimize the prospects of disruption of the season. That's what it's about. It's avoid, it's avoiding doing damage to the season. So why do you have to have a lockout to talk? Look, I've been in, I was on strike for five and a half, six weeks at the Daily News in 1985. Yep, I remember. So I that. know what I know what labor you I know you know that, that. But basically, he's saying, well, if we don't have a lockout on December first, I'm sure that the, the union's saying the same thing. We can't reach an agreement. We need a lockout to reach an agreement. And we got to do it four months before the season starts so it doesn't screw the season up. Isn't that kind of convoluted logic? What, a lockout? No, no, no. The notion that you have to have a lockout to make progress in talks. Well, I think so, too. I mean, look, I, I get the union wants to, you know, and Scott Boris has mentioned about the idea of making teams, making it less attractive for teams to, to just sell out and, and – and sell players, you know, he's he's kind of bad-mouthed the Braves situation this year that the Braves were able to take advantage of some of the bottom feeders. I get all that. Um, and why does Scott have a problem with that? Well, because he also believes that there's so much of an emphasis to draft players high that teams are trying not to feel competitive teams, and then that hurts his guys coming in. I, that he Scott feels Boris, that Scott the cheap Boris, labor force is, is something Scott that is Morris has one job in life make to make people as money. much money for his clients as he can. And from everything I've seen over the last 20, 30 years, he does that. So he's going to bad mouth the system that basically has made him mm-hmm. a multi-billionaire or whatever the hell he is. Come on, man. Look, do I agree with what the, what the this happens in every sport, Kevin, there's a sell off. We're going to see it in the NBA this year. We're going to see it. Well, I don't follow the NHL enough to know, but it happens in the NHL. It happened. It even happened in football this year, for crying out loud. In football, you never see things happen, but it did because that's what happens. A team figures they're out of the race. I got this guy making a lot of money. He's he's on the last year of his contract. I can trade him to the Dodgers, who are trying to win the World Series, and we'll get three prospects back. Uh, come that's, on. How it, that's how it works. A couple other issues at play here. Uh, pitch what do you think about What do you think about that? About the idea that, look, I think we're, I think, I think they're right that they have to stop the tanking. That you have half the league that doesn't want to compete. But how do you do that? You know, maybe you make it where you can't get the top five pick every every year. Maybe you make a draft lottery. Okay. Maybe maybe okay. The, I mean, look, it's worked in other sports to a degree, but it's also not worked. I mean, but we're seeing funny, we're we're, say, we're seeing we're seeing the Texans basically tank. We're seeing, right, but, but the thing is, Kevin, it only like if there's a guy out, there, if LeBron's out there, okay, I get it. You want LeBron because he comes along once every whatever, you know. Kobe, Kobe got drafted 15th. I mean, it wasn't like Kobe, right. but sometimes there's guys like that. But most years there isn't. In baseball, particularly, the guy you draft seventh could be better than the guy that gets taken first. Right. So I don't know, like, if I follow that as much. In hockey, it's a big deal because usually there's one guy who's the guy, and then the Flyers get Van Riemsdyk at two. You know, that's the way it works a lot. Uh, football, same thing. I mean, some years, yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a guy, but that guy could turn out to be Mariota, or that guy could turn out to be Goff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I, I You know, I agree with you. I hate the tanking, too. But at some point, when a team's out of the race, the team's out of the race. Yeah, yeah. So should I mean I don't agree with what the Nats did, but the Nats looked at it and said we ain't going anywhere. Um, 
and they you know, have fr- gotta, they had several free aging decisions looming between Turner right. and or right. you know they had Turner for one more year, but they had Scher- Scherzer who was going to be a free agent. I mean, yeah, I get it. I yeah. do. We don't we don't have to like it. No, but it's. I mean, look what the Houston is doing in basketball right now. Yeah, that, they're that's paying a guy thirty some million dollars to stay away. Not to play. Um. All right, let me get to the Eagles. I've avoided it long enough. Uh, are they better? Yes. Do I give Nick Sirianni credit for adapting him his modus operandi? Absolutely. Do I think they're a playoff team? No. Doesn't matter. Were the Phillies a playoff team? No. No. What did I tell you in late August? I told you. I sat here on this thing every week and said they're going to be in the playoff race when they go to Atlanta. And they were. Mm-hmm. And if they hadn't lost, but they did have some horrible losses along the way. And we would, then we would sit there and go, they can't win. Then they'd win three in a row or they'd beat the Nats four in a row. Oh, yeah. The Eagles, by the very nature of the schedule, are likely going to be in the quote-unquote playoff chase mm-hmm. until the very end of the season. Okay. Yeah. After after this week, we should point out they play one team that will have a winning record, and that is the Cowboys. And the Cowboys may not have anybody. Cowboys won't probably have nobody playing. Well, it depends. They might be playing for something. They might be playing for the bye. They might be playing. uh, You know, only only one bye, but yeah. Yeah, but they could be playing for that. I mean, you know, or they could be playing for the difference between the second and the fourth seed. But what all I'm saying is, you look at the Eagles' schedule. Okay, they've shown they can beat bad teams. They've shown that. Okay, I haven't they've shown they won at home, but they've got a lot of bad teams coming up. Now, does that mean they're going to win all those games? Probably not. But on paper, they're going to be favored against the Jets. They're probably going to be favored in almost every game. Yep. Hell, they're favored this week yeah. against a team that's probably better than them. Um, if they win this week. They got five wins with a chance to get to nine or ten. Yeah. Now, I don't know if not what the NFC is going to be like. I'm not saying they're a playoff team. All I'm saying is that they have a chance to make the playoffs. Now, three right. weeks I, now, I'm, I'm not denying that. I just is it getting it doesn't me... matter if they're a play if you think they're a playoff team, no. Kevin. It doesn't matter. But that's your your first premise was I don't think they're a playoff team. That's fine. Washington wasn't a playoff team last year, but they made the playoffs and they actually gave Tampa, you know, an okay game for this team. And if I hear one more person say they, it's better for them to get a higher draft pick than make the playoffs, go, go somewhere. Just, just please go somewhere. You, the goal is to make, if you can, you go as far as you can. I don't care if their draft, if their draft pick turns out to be 13 or 18, or whatever they can, how he can screw it up as easily, you know, whatever. Well, let's also if, be on, let's also be honest. They're going to get a high draft pick because of Miami. Well, Miami's got three. Yeah, they should. They they should get a high draft pick. But what I'm saying is, everybody thought they were going to get two high draft picks. I don't think that's going to happen. But if I have a chance, if I'm Nick Sirianni, I'm a first year coach in the NFL who's who's had his ups and downs, and I can make the play. You don't think that's a feather in his cap? Make the playoffs? Yeah. I don't care how you do it. I don't care if you do it because you're beating the Giants in Washington. No. This week's game, if they win this week's game, I'm just telling you. I'm not saying they're going to. They may be 4-7, and seven, 
coming out of that game because I think the Saints, Saints are a really good road team. Um, I think this is a very interesting matchup. I don't know if they're going to be able to run against the Saints the way they've been running against some of these teams. So they might have to put more on Jalen, and I don't know if that's a good thing, even though Jalen played great the first half last week. But I'm just saying is they may not beat the Giants twice. They may not beat Washington twice because the law of averages says you probably won't. But what if they do? You know, what if they beat the Jets and the Giants and Washington? They're going to end up with it with the, they're going to be the eight nine win range. Yeah, that might get your playoff spot. And like you said, the Cowboys could come in here the last week. And it may not, not playing anybody. Yeah, you know, so I'm not going to sit here and say they can't. I, I'm just saying is you know, and there's seven teams now instead of six, gives them one more spot. I don't even know who they'd be competing against. I don't, I, I don't know. I haven't looked at the thing to see like. You know who they're trying to beat out for playoff. I guess the Saints are one of those teams. Yeah. You know everybody in the everybody in the NFL seems like they got five wins. Well, I'm I'm looking right now. Okay. Yeah, the Chargers. Uh, look in the AFC. Chargers and Raiders both have five. Right. Pittsburgh has five. Right. Uh, the Bengals have five. The Colts have right. five. The Browns have five. The Broncos. The whole have five. league has yeah. five. Kevin, you don't. I'm one, telling you, you two, don't have to. Yeah, the N- the NFC only has two, with the That's Saints, fine. the Saints, and the Panthers. But you got a whole bunch of four. But if the Eagles win this week, they'd be tied with yeah, the Saints. Yeah, they would. And I don't know what the Pan- you know Panthers have Cam Newton now. So who the hell knows? I love Matt Rule. I didn't even realize they had five wins. I thought they only had four. But, well, they okay. won three. They won three right away, and then they won back. That's right. You're right. They were three and out. That's right. Um, but I'm just telling you. I'm going to tell you the same thing I told you in August about the Phillies. It's the same thing. You look at the schedule, and you're like, okay. And if they don't do it, it's their fault because, you know, I'm sure when the Giants play them, the Giants are going to say, hey, we're playing the Eagles. We got a shot. You know, Washington's going to say, Washington just beat Tampa. So, obviously, Washington can beat somebody. The Jets beat somebody a few weeks ago, but I think they're a dumpster fight. Now they got Flacco starting or whatever the heck's going on. Wouldn't wouldn't that be wild if Flacco beat the Eagles? Oh, God. (laughs) Eagle legend Joe Flacco. I would say, and I know before the year you had them winning like three or four games. I had them winning like around seven. This team is going to win at least three more games. They are. Unless Jalen Hurts goes down with an injury or something, they're going to win three more games. Yeah. You know, the worst they're going to, I said before last week. You're, you're talking I, seven and ten at that point. Right. But I said at least three more. Oh, no, I, I know. But, but you're looking before either seven and ten week, or eight and nine realistically. Before last week. I thought they'd go at worst four and four in their last eight games. Well, they won one that I wasn't sure they were going to win. So if they go four and three, that gets them to eight. If they go five and two, that gets them to nine. Right. You know, if they win this week, five and two is not out of the question. No, it's not. If the Cowboys don't have anything to play, play for. Yeah. Um, yeah. And let's be honest, Kevin. As much, it, it, it is kind of neat being in the playoffs. I, I mean, Mike, I'm not disagreeing with that. Yeah, I mean, even if you think your team, they, look, they're not winning the Super Bowl. Do I do? But do I think there are serious holes with this team? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely, and they can't lose sight of that. It's the same thing with the Phillies. If the Phillies had somehow made the playoffs and lost, you know, whatever, 
the, the thing is, you can't sit there and think, oh, my God, look at us. No, 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 no. You, you're exactly right. The Eagles have to sit there. This is the biggest offseason the Eagles have probably had in my memory. Right. Because of the three first-round picks. I'm assuming yeah. they're going to get the third one. Um, who gets three first-round picks? But here's something to think about. The Giants, I think, have two, and the Jets have two. And both those teams could be picking twice before the Eagles pick. Or at least, I don't know where the Dolphins pick is going to fit in. But, you know, Howie, I won't say Howie, I'll say the Eagles. They better hit some home runs this offseason. They better. You can't be taking, you can't be leaving Jefferson on the board and taking freaking right. Nope. You can't. Uh, you, you just, you, you can't. But so far, last year's draft is looking better. I mean, those guys aren't playing bad. You know, um, what I, you know, it's, I, if you if if you said to me right now you put a gun to my head and I don't know the standings I'm not sitting here I would say the Eagles have like a 50 50 chance of making the playoffs okay so let, you know. let me uh let me close this out and we're in our home stretch here um college football playoff rankings did not change much um this week uh Notre Dame got bumped up to eight Oklahoma's pretty much out. So we're still at that point with um, Cincinnati on the outside looking in. and But this is all going to get sorted out in the next two weeks, isn't it? I mean, well, three weeks, if you want to kind of conference. It, it, always, gets sort, it always gets sorted out because the big games are a lot of times at the end of the year. We'll see. And I, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say Oklahoma is dead for one reason. Well, they can win the Big 12. Well, and they would have to beat Oklahoma State. They would have to beat um, Baylor. No, they just lost to Baylor. No, no, but uh, Baylor, would Baylor be the team well, they would have they would to have beat? To, in the... They would have to beat at least beat Oklahoma State. I don't know who their other game is, and win the Big Twelve title. I don't, still don't think that would be enough for them. But if like fifty things happen, you know, like if Notre Dame loses again, um, I don't know what can happen with the Big Ten. I mean, a lot of things could happen with the Big Ten. You know, you could have Ohio State get to the Big Ten final and lose, which would then throw it into more chaos. Because um, I don't think a two-loss Ohio State team would get in. Uh, there's a lot, you know. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State has Iowa State this week and then uh, Oklahoma State. So They have Iowa Well, Iowa State is a disappointment. So, yeah. but, uh, I mean, I think the, the big question is going to be, can Alabama beat Georgia twice? Because that's or well once, once to get into the play, but they're going to and they have to go to Auburn, which mm-hmm. I don't think will be easy. But I, you know, they probably figure out a way to win because they usually do. Uh, but can they beat Georgia? I, and I don't have the answer to that. I, I don't. You know, it, Kirby Smart still hasn't really beaten him. No, um, should have beat him. Uh, that one championship game he had. Him. Like the one team that's in is Georgia. Georgia's a. a, a Pretty much a lock, I would, I would think, think, to get in. The only way that Georgia, yeah, because they shouldn't lose. They have Georgia Tech left and um, somebody else that isn't real good. Uh, but if they, if Bama thumped them, like if Bama got to the title game and won, they have Charleston Southern this week. So, right. And I don't think that's going to happen. And even if they got beat by a couple touchdowns by Bama, I think they might say, hey, it's Bama and Georgia's been the best team all year. I, yeah, I think Georgia, something really, really stupid would have to happen. I don't think, I think Georgia would be in. Uh, who, who's, uh, 
who's number two right now? We got um Alabama. Ba- Bama's two, right? The interesting would the two lost Bama team get in? No. See there? Well, if no. they lose to Georgia by a field goal at the buzzer, I, I think there's going to be some people on that committee who are still going to say Bama is one of the best four teams. Now, the question becomes like an MVP. Vote. Is there enough? Are you trying to get the best four teams or are you trying to get the four most deserving teams? That's, they're two totally well, different questions. All right. Well, Lynn, the main question I have is, let's say Cincinnati. And by the way, Cincinnati still has a tough game this week against SMU. And they got Houston. And they got Houston. Think, right? And yeah, they got Houston in the title game. And there's no guarantee that they win both. Well, if, if they, they don't, it's, then they're out. Right. But if they do win out, I mean, they they kind of need Oregon to lose one of those games, I would think, to Probably. Utah. Yeah. Um, Maybe. Yeah, they get because it'll be Utah likely twice this week and then in the big uh, the Pac-12 title game. And then you need either Michigan or Ohio State to be a two-loss team, don't you, at that point? Well, well one of them is going to be a two-loss team because they're playing each other. Well, yeah, but like if Michigan beats Ohio State and then wins the Big Twelve, they're going to go through. Yeah, but what 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 since what other people need Notre Dame and Cincinnati. And well, Notre like Dame that. is out. Notre Dame, uh, you know, I've I've heard the Kevin, 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 Kevin. Please, please, just just to put put the brakes on for a second. If the Big tw- Ten champion has two losses, all the teams with one loss are in. Okay, I'm just telling you, you can you can. You can tell me everything you want to tell me, but if somehow Wisconsin winds up winning the Big Ten by beating Ohio State or Michigan or whoever gets there, and all the Big Ten teams have two losses, Mm -hmm. it puts all the one-loss teams back into play. I don't care what planet we live on. One-loss teams still have something over two-loss teams, okay? Unless there's a really, really good reason, like you're Alabama, okay? since Here's the, the, the question I would have. If Cincinnati loses to Houston, let's say by a field goal, does Notre Dame move ahead of Cincinnati? They may because they would look at Notre Dame's work since that Cincinnati game that's and say Notre Dame is better than they than yeah, Cincinnati. That's fine, but Notre Dame doesn't have Notre Dame doesn't have a quality win. Like I agree. Say, oh, well, and Cincinnati went to Notre Dame. Well, Notre Dame, Notre Dame has one quality win on their schedule. They have no, Wisconsin. What I'm saying is this is the this is the problem with college football. Yeah. Like right now, Oregon's hanging everything when they're winning Ohio State, which they should. Mm-hmm. That that's you go to Ohio State and you win with without two of your best best defense, but whatever you win. Yeah, but Oregon since then hasn't looked real good. No. So the question becomes, like, if Ohio State beats Michigan State, beats Michigan, wins the Big Ten, would they move ahead of Oregon? Probably. I mean, that's a, but, but then Oregon would sit there and go, wait a minute, we played them. This is the problem yeah, but, with college but, football. But, but, Mike, I don't think Oregon will complain because Oregon, if they win the Pac-12, likely will still get in the tournament. Yeah, maybe, but what if they're the fifth team? For what, what if Bam is four? And or, or what if Bam is three and Ohio State's four and Oregon? What I'm saying is college But then football, who's two? It was the same thing when... Well, it was the BCS. I get it. And but, the one year, you know, but, somebody would beat but, somebody, and then Lou Holtz would say, but we beat them on the field. And you're like, I, I get yeah, it, Yeah, it's Lou. when they beat Florida State, and Florida, and they no, lost to the Boston no, College the following week. And yeah. But there was a year where Miami beat 
Miami beat Florida State in 2001 or 2000, one of those years. And, but they had another loss. At the end of the year, Florida State got to play for the national title over Miami. But, and and, but, and the Miami's like, wait a minute. We beat them. Right. Mike, and Mike, like, I, I get what you're saying, but here's where I have trouble translating it, okay? If Oregon has one loss, Oregon, let's say you have a one-loss Big Ten. Right. You have a one-loss. You know, your scenario is right. Your scenario is right, Kevin. Cincinnati's the team out. If Ohio State and Oregon were fighting for the four spot, okay, and they probably won't be. You're right. But if they were, and Ohio State beat Michigan State, beat Michigan, and then won the Big Ten title, right? they should jump Oregon? And Oregon went to Ohio State and beat them. They didn't beat them in Corvallis. With a lot of their players injured, we should point out. At some point, head-to-head has to mean something. Because if head-to-head doesn't mean something, so at some point, Cincinnati's win at Notre Dame... Should mean something. Has to mean something. That's why I don't don't think Notre Dame's a legitimate player in this. I get it. Oh, I do, because I don't think the committee thinks like that. Oh, it would look wrong. (laughs) It would be wrong. wrong But it doesn't matter, Kevin. They've looked wrong before. They, They can justify anything they want. Like, right now, everybody's making a big deal that Michigan State is ahead of Michigan. Is it, do I have that right? Yeah, Michigan. No, Michigan is ahead, no, of, Michigan Michigan ahead of Michigan State. Even though Michigan State right. won the head-to-head game two weeks ago. Right, because they're telling you that Michigan State or Michigan has better. It's like your Cy Young voter. Yeah, they have better this, they have better that. But, they're, but it's going to all sort itself out. Why do we bother with what the standings look like now? Because three weeks from now or four weeks from now, there's going to be four or five results that are going to change everything. And there's going to be one or two results that we're not even factoring into this equation that are going to happen because upsets always happen that'll change it even more. So we consider all we want to say was going to be Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State. Okay, it might be. That might be the way it shakes out. And then Cincinnati will be sitting there complaining, yep. which is why they're going to go to an 18 playoff or a 12 team playoff or a 32 team playoff or whatever the hell they're going to go to to appease everybody. But, you know, at some point, somebody gets left out. The thing about the NCAA tournament is, in basketball, when somebody gets left out, it usually isn't a team that thinks they can win the national title. It's just a team that's trying to get, you know, the 35th at-large. Large birth. Yeah. Yeah. It, and I get it. And every once in a while, those teams, like UCLA last year, UCLA makes it to the Final Four, you know, is one of the last teams in the tournament. I get it. But – Somebody's going to get left out. No matter if you have two, and if we had an eighteen playoff, I guarantee you we'd all be sitting here arguing about who's eight and who's yeah. nine. So somebody's going to sit there on that day, most likely, and think I got screwed. Yep. Who uh, that person's going to be, I I don't. You know, and you're right. George is probably the one team right now that is bulletproof on this. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they, yeah. It, it, and, and I guess, Usually it's Bama is bulletproof, but this year it's Georgia because and, Georgia's and, defense is historically Biden, dominant. Right, and and like Oregon, I think like if Oregon wins out, and they probably got the easiest path to win out, I'm guessing, not having looked at all the teams in the Pac-12, but I just don't see how you can leave them out. Ohio State has two really tough games to play. And, and the Big Ten. I'm not saying, yeah, but they could lose. Yeah, they have a tougher path. To get there, and that may, and if they get through that tougher path, the committee might say, "Hey, look at the path they went through." Um, yep. 
Yeah, it, it, it'll be it, – yeah, and, and look, nobody expects Michigan State to beat Ohio State. No. And nobody expects Michigan to beat Ohio State, which is probably why one of them is going to beat Ohio State. Wisconsin may be the best team that could beat Ohio State at this point. Wisconsin – I don't think Wisconsin – yeah, but they, – They've gotten you know, a lot better since October. Since they got rolled at Camp Randall by Michigan, they are a lot better, Mike. I have seen Wisconsin in big spots. Um. Yeah, that's fine. They're, they're, I, I, that's fine. I don't think Wisconsin's as good as either of the three teams in the East. But, but that's okay. They right. don't have to be. They just have to win their division. And But I think if Ohio State gets that far, now I'm not saying if Michigan State or Michigan gets that far, right? because it would be a rematch, right? The, Michigan yeah. would be a rematch. But I don't see Ohio State getting that far and losing to Wisconsin. No, I, I, they may not win by three touchdowns. Might be a good game, but um, when is it okay? By the way, to talk about what the future of Penn State's going to be? Yeah, after the season, okay. doesn't you know? I uh, mean, yeah, it's. I, uh, I I had to get that one in. Um, well, real, real, well, let me ask you real quick. Do you think he's going to be the coach at Penn State next year? No. Okay. I think it's funny because I saw a thing in the Athletic this week, and I kind of agree with it. Um. I think he's kind of hit a ceiling at State College. I do. Uh, you know, and, and the last two years, the more these coaching rumors have kind of ramped up, and last year he didn't have his family around because of COVID, understandable. Um, you know, I, I think James knows he's a great recruiter, and I know that he's probably taken the Penn State program as far as he can, and now maybe it's time to move. Go try for LSU or USC. That's all. It's fine. I, I, have, I have no... You know, it's like it's I like I'm going to reach out to Jonesy to get him on in the next couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah, wait for the season. Wait, wait, yeah, wait, we'll get, wait till the season's last, over. But he played these last couple games and um, find out which know, find out which bowl they're going to go to. I mean, they could be a they could be a five loss team by then. Yeah, um, you know, they might not. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to be right. Um, well, no, they probably no. I mean, Michigan State's obviously going to be a tough game. Right. That'll be at Michigan State, and this week they get whom. Who they get this week? Uh, uh, I forgot. I should, I should know this. Um, oh God! Let, let me let me uh, let me. Not Bar- no, it's not Rutgers. They play Rutgers. Yeah. Let me let me. And Rutgers, Rutgers isn't bad. I mean, I'm not saying Rutgers is going to beat them because they're a pretty they're they're a decent favorite. But you know, I I think Penn State will win this week, yep. and I, I give them a shot against Michigan State. Give the Owls a shot. I never give the – I can't – how can you give the Owls a shot? Their quarterback just announced he's transferring. Oh, it's Kevin. The kid from Georgia? Kevin. Yeah. Just came out today. Uh, Kevin, I don't know what's going on down there because I'm not there. So I'm only watching from afar. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing what's happening. I love Rich Berg. Their SID is a, is a friend of mine. I've purposely tried not to – Saying like I said hi to Rich last week, yes. Yeah, I texted him today and just said, Rich, I hope you know you're hanging in there. I said, if you need, we want to talk to me or whatever. Hey, give me. And he said thanks and all that. It's it's a it's a mess, Kevin. It's 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 so far beyond the mess. It's pitiful, is what it is. And you know, I'm I listened to I was driving around. What was it? Thirty six to eight last week. Yeah, thirty six. Okay, and that was a name. Did, that was a name. Your score game. And by it was a 25 point underdog. And I'm listening towards the end of the game. Whoever does their play by play with with um um Paul Palmer. 
well, Paul Palmer, whoever does the play-by-play, I think, uh, trying to remember who, it's a young guy now. It's not mm-hmm. Harry anymore. And they, and they were, they were, and I tuned in. And I look, I know they work for the school and all that. Uh, they're trying to put like, well, you know, it was a, it was a good game. It was no it good game. No, it wasn't, dude. Come on, man. I mean, good game because you only lost by thirty. Now I know you were a twenty-five point underdog. I get, I get that. So you weren't, and now their quarterback, who you were pinning, I think, a lot of your hopes on for probably the next couple of years, he's done. He's gone. Where do you go? So DeWan Mathis is the quarterback who entered the transfer portal. Uh, right. Who was Jalen Blue? Jalen Blue's Jaden Blue. Yep. Right. I mean, you, you can't. I don't see how they can bring the coach back. But again, I'm not. To me, you have to start fresh. You you, you have to do something. Yeah. You can't. This is this is just. Um, Look, and, and bad, this, this is something that is now across their entire athletic platform. I mean, yeah. their basketball program is struggling, too. So we, we can go down hey, that road. tell me a basketball program in Philadelphia that doesn't start with a V that isn't struggling. Man. The Hawks lost at home to Drexel. I think it was at home. I think it was at Hawk Hill. LaSalle lost to Delaware. Uh, well, the pennies haven't been too bad. But the pennies are the pennies, Kevin. They play in the I get it. They but they play in the Ivy League. They, yeah. they, they're usually a step behind. God bless them. I love them. I love Stevie. But I, I, you know what I'm saying. Well, they haven't played in a year and a half, too. So I, I, I get all that. But I'm not saying that one of these teams can't be okay or, or two of them can't. But it's not good right now. It, it, it just I, you know I was talking to Jensen, Mike Jensen about this, and, and Mike's just like that was goes, by the way at Hagen. That game was at Hagen for St. Joe. Yeah. Well, I didn't think they were going to Drexel, but. Um, they did a couple but, of years ago, but okay. Yeah. Well, Phil, did. yeah, it was a Phil, I think, thing. Um, but you can't. Mike said, I don't even know. People come up to him and ask him, who's the second best team in the city? He's, he, I have no answer. And he says, the answer doesn't matter if none of them are making the tournament. And he's right. You, I you, mean, you want to talk about ugly? In two weeks. LaSalle, LaSalle Nova at the Palestra, Penn Nova at the Palestra, and the Holy War of Finneran. Those are going to be ugly games. Well. Unless Jay well, calls you know, off the dogs. That's all. You know, I root for everybody, right? I mean, uh-huh. I'm rooting for Ashley. I love Ashley. I think it's 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 a really tough situation. Billy Lang is a good guy. You know, I'm rooting for him. And, and you know. Oh, God. I mean, Aaron's salt of the earth. I mean, it, it doesn't get better than Aaron, right? Stevie's great. I, 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 all these guys, they're rootable. You want to root for them. You know, Sp- Spike at, at, at Drexel, who got him to the tournament last year as a sixth seed. I mean, that was tremendous. But it's just so hard when you're struggling like this, yeah. and there's almost like no light at, that you can see. Um, And I know we're not going to see it in the first week of November. Right? I, I, I get that. And you hope that by February, you know, somebody's made some inroads and done something. But it's just, it's it's sad, Kevin. It, it really, really is. And, you know, it's funny. Like, and I'm not saying the people at St. Joe are wrong. But all the people at St. Joe that wanted Phil gone, okay, we well, got what you wish for. You know, but by was, you know, seriously, who could be the second best team in the city? Drexel? Might be the Dragons. Good for the Dragons. You know, I mean, look, I got to believe at some point in time, Temple's going to play better. St. Joe's going to play better. 
LaSalle's going to play better. I, I got to believe that in my heart. I think Penn will be fine. Penn will be Penn. You know, Steve, but, but like until that happens, I just don't know how to react. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, and, and it's sad because I don't want to be a one team town. I, I get it. But Mike, if you think about it, by December 21st, they have games at Temple and at LaSalle back to back games through the Dragons. We may know at that point that Drexel's the second best team in the city. Who, who they got? Who they got? They got LaSalle and who? They got Temple at Lake Horse and LaSalle at. Uh, so, Drex, so Drexel's playing three big five teams this year? Yeah. Wow, because there was a, there was a, a period there where some of the teams won't play them, right? Yep. Wow. Well, I will say this. And they get Princeton, by the way, too. So, I'm just going to say this. If you're Temple, don't be losing that game. Nope. Okay? LaSalle, I would say the same thing, but it would be less of a surprise to me. If, but if you're Temple, if you're Aaron McKee. You can't lose that game. You cannot, <laughs> you cannot lose, lose that, that game. game. And probably, uh, I mean, from everything you're telling me, you know, maybe he could. I I, you know, I don't even know with the transfer portals and everything. I don't even know. I have trouble keeping up with who's on whose team. Yeah. It really is. But and 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 look, and Jay Wright is partially responsible for that because he's put Villanova on such a whatever. I don't know what word you want to use. Uh, you know, they're up there somewhere, man. They're I mean, they're a top five, top ten team in the country. And how about the week? How about the tournament they get this weekend? Good tournament. Yeah, they're up at the Hall of Fame Classic. They get Tennessee on Saturday, and then they get the winner of Carolina Purdue, or the winner or the loser, Carolina Purdue on Sunday. See, I think Jay's doing exactly the right thing. He's he's he, making it tough early. Well, and, and that might cost him like uh, maybe a seeding line at some point in life. Like you know, instead of being a two seed, he might be a three seed, or you know, something along those lines. But we've always talked about this. It's like Gonzaga's problem. Mm-hmm. Gonzaga plays in a bad conference, okay? So for the two months before the tournament, they're playing nobody. Right. I, I don't want to slate the whole conference, but Villanova's got a few teams in their league that are pretty good. But for the most part, Villanova dominates the league. Mm-hmm. Just what happens. And some of those years when they didn't get past the second round, people would sit there and go, oh, you know, maybe. Okay, but there was also two years that they won the national title. I think Jay, by playing Baylor, by playing uh, at Pauly, game he almost won, and right now they're not whole. And they get you know, and they get Syracuse too at, up at the yeah. Garden in in December. That's a, and he plays, you know, and he'll play some games he should win. Mm-hmm. And he'll take a few knocks. They lost to Oklahoma by twenty four the year they won the title. You know, it's okay as long you know you don't want to lose all of them. And, and he's not playing with a full deck right now. No, you know his his team. He's got some injury issues. He's got um, some whatever issues. They're, they're playing small. Villanova will be fine. I'm not sitting here telling you they're going to be in the Final Four. I, I don't know what March is going to be, but Jay Wright's team will be fine. Yep. Uh, they might not win enough to satisfy every Villanova fan. That's a given. But playing these kind of teams, Helpful. I think, will help them in the long run. I agree. I, I really do. All right. Hey, no, no. Before you go, yeah, Ben Simmons. No, no, I'm not. Okay, I'm not, that's, I'm not. Fine. that's fine. <laughs> I'm no, just, no, no, no. That, that's fine. I'm that's just. Fine. That's okay. We'll, we'll save that for next week. All right, so coming up on this program in the next couple of weeks, okay, next Wednesday uh, before our pre-Thanksgiving show, it'll be Mike Silski will join us. He'll talk about his book on Kobe Bryant that's coming out. 
We'll talk Eagles. We'll talk Phillies. We'll talk everything. We'll talk, I'm sure, Mr. Simmons at some point. We don't have to. Uh, in two weeks, Ruben Amaro Jr. will talk wow, to us. Wow, I like that. Yeah, that's about, good. Uh, kind of the state of baseball as we enter this off season, uh, right around the time the winter meetings would normally be. Yeah. You don't know ask what's going to be. Ask him about the writer who voted the guy from St. Louis third. <laughs> uh, and we got a couple other guests lined up here as we get towards the home stretch of the year. Uh, thank you to everybody who has reached out about the podcast. We are back. Uh, we are back and uh, going to be back weekly again. Uh, now that everything has calmed significantly, uh, I sound yep. much calmer, don't I, Mike? Kevin, you got a life to lead, man. I keep telling you, <laughs> I you know. keep apologizing. You, you, you know, it's if we never did the podcast again, or we did it once a month, and you had to do what you had to do, that's okay. Yep. It really is. I uh, mean, you know, as I, much fun as I have doing it, it, it it's okay. Yep. All right, Mr. Kern, I will talk to you next week, and we'll we'll get into the gobble-gobble a little bit. You got it, man. All right. Be good. Our thanks to Andy Talley for joining us, and our thanks to you for joining us. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is Work of the Beat. Well, you went uptown riding in your limousine with your fine park.